Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry and we continue season 8 where we're focusing on films adapted from books and for today's episode I think this is probably one of the biggest and most famous film adapted from a book in the modern time so for today's episode we shall be talking about the 2001 fantasy adventure children's film Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Adapted from the work of J.K. Rowling and directed by Chris Columbus, the film stars Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, Alan Rickman, Robert Coltrane and Maggie Smith. You're a wizard, Harry. One of the most iconic lines in cinematic history and all conceived and imagined by none other than a British lass who randomly came up with the idea of a boy who goes to a wizardry school while she was on a four-hour delay to catch a train in England. Our nostalgia tells us one thing, to reminisce over the good times in the past, and that's usually where they belong. But with Harry Potter, a film that targeted young adults and kids at the same time, at a time when technology was evolving, at a time when fantasy took over the British landscape, a time where the books were always ahead of the films, all this remained crucial to the survival, even now, to this great franchise. Harry Potter did what others tried. It grew stronger as time went on, and even to this day, People are reluctant to let go of their love for this movie, of the characters, of the spells, Hogwarts, or simply anything related to this diegetic world that J.K. Rowling has created for the world. So there's this cafe in Edinburgh, which I've been fortunate enough to go to with my girlfriend. It's called The Elephant House, where in 1993, J.K. Rowling had completed her first three chapters of Harry Potter. At that point, she uh, had a child at the time, but she, you know, she would continue writing any chance she got. And then she decided a year later to send them over to a literary agent. And finally, one answered back saying, this is the best letter I've ever got. And well, you could say the rest is history. That is when in 1997, the first Harry Potter book was released, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone or Sorcerer's Stone, as it's better known in the States. The reason for the change was due to the American publisher who thought that American kids wouldn't want to read a book with the word philosophy or a word similar to that in its title. Because of the success and global recognition of Harry Potter, we have no idea if that American publisher was right when he changed the word philosopher to sorceress. But I don't think it really mattered. I think the books were going to sell either way. And they did. So skip to four years later in 2001 and out came the first adaptation of Harry Potter onto the big screen. By then, three books were already out with The Goblet of Fire, the fourth one soon making its way to the bookshelves. It blew up when the film came out in 2001 and that only spurred on the sales of the books that were yet to come out. The film on their own, which included the the 10 films and stage plays based on the world, has grossed over around $8 billion in revenue. As of 2020, it makes it the most successful franchise in history. The book itself sold around $7.7 billion, making J.K. Rowling one of the richest women in the world, with a net worth of around $1 billion. All goes back to that four-hour delay in catching a train. It always starts with something small, doesn't it? And now, here we are. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, so the film, which came out in 2001. So at the time, J.K. Rowling was obviously the only person with the knowledge of where the story was going to go. And so the casting of the actors was so crucial because they were committing to playing this character for 10, 12 years and portraying this character to, you know, all these people that loved um, Harry Potter, the most successful children's book ever. So secrets were shared from J.K. Rowling to the actors in 2001. Robbie Coltrane was the first official member to join the film who starred and who he plays as Hagrid. Apparently, Robin Williams offered to play Hagrid for free, but J.K. Rowling said the film had to have a strictly British cast. That was her one exception. 
J.K. Rowling handpicked Alan Rickman, who went on to play Severus Snape, and he was the only one who knew the ending of the entire franchise. She gave him vital details to best play him the character of Snape, arguably one of the best and most complex characters in the whole franchise. J.K. Rowling was actually asked to play Harry's mother by the producers, Lily, but she just outright refused, simply saying, I'm not an actress and I just screwed up the part anyway. So the three actors that J.K. Rowling handpicked herself were Robbie Coltrane, who plays Hagrid, Alan Rickman, and of course, Dame Maggie Smith. The rest went down to the exhausting casting process, most notably the role of the title character, Harry Potter. The casting department went through 5,000 young boys for the role of Harry Potter. Chris Columbus, the director and producer, saw Daniel Radcliffe in a film um, in 1999. I think it was David Copperfield. And immediately told the casting agent that this was the guy. This is Harry Potter. But they knew they weren't getting Daniel because his parents wanted him to focus on his schoolwork. And was really, you know, that was really important, you know, naturally. So after they tried to... Um, except that they weren't going to get Daniel Radcliffe. They tried branching out the cast into international casting. So that was how desperate they were again, even though J.K. Rowling was saying, I need a British cast. But they couldn't get him, you know, they just couldn't get the right person for Harry Potter. So one evening, the assistant writer and the producer went to the theatre one day, and Daniel and his parents were there as well, and they had a chat with the parents. And, well, that's all it took. And that was a four- to five-month process. And he officially learned he got the role while he was at a bathtub or in a bathtub at home which is a random fact. I don't know why I've read that out there anyway. So yeah, he was paid £1 million to play Harry Potter. Not bad for an 11-year-old kid. He didn't believe he would be playing him in all of the movies, so they had no idea how he was going to look as he matured. But luckily, all three of them, all the um, that's Rupert Grint and Emma Watson, they grew into desirable adults, as Christopher Columbus puts it. So he was quite lucky in that aspect that those three guys, could, or three guys and girls, could play all three characters for like the eight, nine movies. So Chris Columbus took the director's seat for this movie, first and only American to direct a Harry Potter movie. He had many sit-downs of J.K. Rowling and promised her he would capture the vision correctly and was for, you know, basically forearming to do it all in England with a British cast and a mainly British crew. Even at the extent of you know, refusing Robin Williams to play Hagrid for free on this movie, they worked together, I think previously on Mrs. Doubtfire about five years prior, and Chris Columbus had probably made some of the best children's movie in history in films like Home Alone, Mrs. Doubtfire, and now Harry Potter. I mean, what a CV that is. He was the front runner to direct this after Steven Spielberg dropped out due to wanting to make it in America. So Steven Spielberg and Chris Columbus knew each other from The Goonies and other films as well. And he recommended Christopher Columbus take this movie if it couldn't be set in America and the game was set. Then we had the director, they had the cast, and of course, we had the script. So, of course, people were anxious and equally enthusiastic to see this beloved children's book on the big screen. Of course, you're going to get your critics and diehard fans of the book who will moan and criticize over changes made for the film. And that was expected. Now, at the time of the release of the film, only the first four Harry Potter books were published. So that was Philosopher's Stone, Chambers of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban and then Goblet of Fire. For that reason alone, J.K. Rowling had to be an on-set advisor to ensure the consistency with the first book, but more importantly, to avoid conflicts with her vision on her later books that hadn't been published yet. Apparently, it was confirmed that she told the director to remove one line from the final movie because it would contradict something that happens in Order of the Phoenix, so it was quite valuable that she was on set. So the filmmakers were trying very hard to satisfy all the millions and millions of fans across the world to make sure they were very authentic with the film. They did try and go the extra mile with matching the main three children's looks and mannerisms to how they were described in the film. They had Daniel Radcliffe in green contacts because in the book he has green eyes and Daniel has blue. 
Emma Watson had to wear fake buck teeth to match the description in the book. But unfortunately, Daniel Radcliffe's eyes reacted really strongly with the contacts. And well, Emma Watson couldn't even talk with the fake teeth. So they had to get rid of it. They couldn't recast this. They found the perfect child actor. So they left the eyes blue and the normal teeth were left in the movie. So Emma Watson could actually speak. And also the infamous scar that is in the movie is just a little off center um, which annoyed a lot of fans because in the artworks of the book, the front cover, people saw the scar to be in the center of his forehead. However, the book never actually specifies where his scar is located on his forehead. It was requested by none other than J.K. Rowling that the scar be off center for the movie. So if you're annoyed about the scar, well, J.K. Rowling trumps your decision there. I mean, you can't get anything. I mean, you can't get everything like it was in the book. Hagrid's like 12 feet tall in the book. In the film, he's only eight. Or in the book, Neville was meant to be hidden in the hidden forest for the detention with Malfoy, Harry and Hermione. But Ron takes his place. So, you know, it's two different mediums that you can't, you know, you have to live with, unfortunately. So as myth and logic goes, the first one usually tends to be the best. But that is probably a debatable conversation. But uh, the, well, they made eight, nine movies to contend with there. So I don't know what your favorite is. But I mean, the first one is definitely iconic for being simply the first movie. However, the Oscars would agree with you in saying that the first one is the best. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone ended up grabbing three Oscar nominations, which none of the films did until the last one. So Harry Potter had a colossal budget, the first movie, of $125 million, and it grossed $965 million worldwide, just shy of a billion. It's actually the second most successful Harry Potter movie in the franchise. Any guess on which one's the first? Logically speaking, all good things happen at the start and, of course, when it comes to an end, too. So that's the Deathly Hallows Part 2 grossed over $1.3 billion worldwide. So the last movie was the one that beat the first movie in terms of box office success. Interestingly enough, though, the highest rated movie is Prisoner of Azkaban, the third movie. And the film with the highest budget is The Half-Blooded Prince, which had an enormous budget of $250 million. What is interesting is the movie that did the worst of the box office is the film that is considered the best Harry Potter of them all, which is the third one, Prisoner of Azkaban. Usually the way with films at the Oscars, most films that win the Oscars people don't tend to like. So I guess it's the same with this one as well. I say did worse. It's still gross shy of $800 million on a $150 million budget. So a massive success still, but the worst out of the bunch. So they did release the first movie back in 2001 and eventually cross. Uh, no, they re-released Philosopher's Stone in 2020 and it actually did cross the one billion mark. So technically, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is a billion dollar movie now. So collectively, the entire franchise has made over $9 billion, which is the third biggest franchise in history, which is quite shocking, actually. But it is and it's behind Star Wars. And the Marvel Universe, however, one has been around since 1977 and the other has three times as many films. So there is a debate there. So because of the undeniable success of Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling became the first author ever to make over a billion dollars personally from her books, which is just ridiculous. Put it another way, she makes £142 a minute from beginning to end of the Harry Potter journey. The publication of the first book to the release of the last movie. So she did well and she's now one of the richest private citizens in the UK. I read the other day as well. She came up with, a, you know, the four names of the houses while she was on the plane. Uh, Gryffindor and Slivery and Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw, those ones. She wrote them down on a sick bag when she was on the plane and then she... And she thankfully didn't use, she, she wasn't sick in the bag. She just wrote the names of those four um, houses. And then after the flight, she had it down from memory. So she remembered what she wrote down on the sick bag. And she left the sick bag on the plane. So chances are it was thrown away by some stewardess. 
And she said if someone would have kept that bag, though, she would have confirmed that it was her handwriting and it had been worth millions. I mean, absolute millions at an auction. But it's probably in a bin somewhere or shredded or who God knows when. So now if you haven't read the book and went straight to the film, you'll be missing a lot of things out that are never mentioned really in the film, like the name of the uh, Harry's owl, Hedwig. It's never mentioned in the entire movie, even though the score for one of the pieces in Harry Potter is called Hedwig's Theme. There's many other things too, but I won't bore you with them simply because there are so many... And also, just everyone probably already knows it too, because the world is just full of Harry Potter nerds now. John Williams, I mean, the guy who obviously composed Jurassic Park, I mean, composed the most famous Harry Potter score from his own home in LA and then recorded it when he got back to London. Him and Chris Columbus had worked together on Home Alone, and strangely uh, enough, off, uh, Home Alone and Harry Potter were released exactly on the same day, but 11 years apart. Spielberg went, um, when he was attached to the project, told Chris Columbus that he could use his frequent collaborator for this movie who did the musical score for Jurassic Park and, of course, Jaws. So John Williams did a really good treat there, and, of course, the Harry Potter melody is very iconic now. There are many lessons to take away from Harry Potter being one of the most famous children's book and films of all time, and it will probably continue to be as the films are expanding into prequels, rides to Disneyland, and of course the Harry Potter world outside of London. Not to mention little tours you can take in London, like King's Cross Station. Uh, interestingly enough, though, the platform nine and three quarters, the exterior of it in the movie is actually St. Pancreas for all the London nerds out there, not King's Cross, which is just down the road from them. They chose to shoot it there because it was just more visually appealing. So I don't know if you've actually been to King's Cross Station and gone to platform nine or ten. It's just not appealing at all. So also platform nine and three quarters was filmed at King's Cross, but on platforms four to five. So J.K. Rowling admitted that she'd mixed up the layout of London's King's Cross railway station, which she assigned the Hogwarts Express to platform three, uh, nine and three quarters reach by using magic platforms between nine and ten. So it's actually filmed at four and five, but they did most of the exterior stuff at Pancreas. So there you go. Um, so she, yeah, so she meant the location to be in the inner city part of the station, but nine and ten are actually among the rather less grand suburban platforms. The movie does conform to the book. The platforms seen as 9 and 10 are in real life in you know intercity platforms 4 and 5. However, there is a fact that platform 9 and 3 quarters at King's Cross, it's located in the walkway between the real platforms of 9, three, uh, nine and 10 now, has treats for fans of Harry Potter. So they've just stuck it in there now and just, you know, people can take photos there. But yeah, the themes to talk about, I guess, from Harry Potter is that, you know, love or true love does triumph in the end. The love that Snape has for Lily shaping his life and, of course, the importance of friendship and kindness and the unconventional modest hero who comes out on top with obstacles like we always do in life. It's probably why Harry Potter is so relatable and so popular. You know, he's a relatable boy that has the key to all this power and power and death. And it's also power and death is also a big theme in this movie as well in this franchise. I mean, Harry's Harry's parents death given him the power slash curse, I guess. Cedric's death traumatizing Harry, Sirius's death, Dumbledore's death, Snape's death, all play a part in the evolution of this character of Harry Potter. And it's quite the journey we take through like eight or nine movies where death plays a vital role in the structure of these narratives and the knock-on effects it has on the protagonist. But look, anyway, I shall leave it there because there is quite a lot to talk about in terms of Harry Potter. There's just simply just too much to say about it. Probably the most popular topic for a quiz question requested by people these days. So I have struggled to talk about things that people don't really know already. But regardless, I hope you've enjoyed the last 15 to 20 minutes of this podcast. I shall leave you with this though. Voldemort. Remember that Voldemort, the T is silent. So it's actually pronounced Voldemort. 
And I would love it if Ralph Fiennes said that in the movie, like he does in, uh, like Django does in Django Unchained, when he goes, the T is silent, or when he goes, the D is silent. That would have been a really cool uh, <laughs> a bit. But I don't think Django Unchained had come out then. But yeah, so Voldemort literally means flight of death in French. So the T should be silent. So every time you say Voldemort, it should be Voldemort. It's weird saying it now, Voldemort, in a French accent. But yeah, if you get rid of the T, you actually automatically say it in a French accent. But there you go. I can't actually remember in the movie if they pronounce it with a T or not. But anyway, that's just one of those things. Something that I thought I would share because not many people might know this. So there you go. So uh, this actually caused the, uh, well, this this little thing here with uh, Voldemort with the silent T. This actually caused the entire audiobook in America to be re-recorded because they mispronounced it. And I, pe- I, I still believe people do as well. They still mispronounce it. And one other thing as well, with Harry Potter, obviously everyone knows this, never tickle a sleeping dragon. <laughs> but listen, that's all I have time for. Truly the most popular children's book out there. And I would argue, in fact, I don't think even it's an argument. It is probably the most successful franchise in history because it was made in a consistent period between 2001 to 2012, 2011, so 10 straight years. They only made eight or nine movies. They're making some more movies now, prequels, and it's still racking up the money and it's given J.K. Rowling such an established name where anything she writes now is just going to be viewed by thousands and billions of eyes because of the success of Harry Potter. But anyway, please subscribe to me on my podcast. Uh, I'm on Spotify, Google, and I'm also on iTunes. That's Film Exploration AH. And you can also find me on Instagram. Uh, it's all lowercase, Film Exploration AH, or one word, all lowercase. And once again, I uh, just want to thank you for listening to Film Exploration of Ash Hurry. And I hope I have said something about Harry Potter that you may not have known before for all those Harry Potter nerds out there. So have a good day, guys. <laughs>